0: Malachi chapter 2, verses 17 through to 3, 5. Can I encourage you to maybe pull your Bibles out, because it's where John's going to be speaking from. It's found on page 929 in the Pew Bibles. That's Malachi chapter 2, starting at verse 17, going through to chapter 3, verse 5. Page 929. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, Where is the God of justice? See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. So I come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty.
1: Uh, Just before I uh, speak... Uh, Why don't we take about 20 seconds, just move around, welcome each other, and there is an outline for the talk, so if you find that helpful, you can grab one out the front, and there's also, for those who need it, um, English as Second Language, I've got the whole transcript of the sermon, if, if you'll find that helpful. So 20 seconds, move around, welcome each other, and I'll just get ready. Okay, if we can make our way back to our seats. I'm going to pray and then we'll have a look at this passage which we've been studying. So let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us even today. And so we pray that you might help us to, to receive these words as they really are, the words of God. And we pray, Lord, that you might convict us in the way it's necessary. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, do you ever feel that we live in an unfair world? It's unfair. It's unjust. Look around the world and you just see injustice everywhere. Do you guys get that feeling or is it just me? I'm sure we all do. You look around the world and you think, this is not right. Now, it could be just the little things in life. Now, three times this has happened in my driving life. Three times, I've parked my car, I've gone away, I've come back, and my car was smashed by someone else. Three times, and they didn't leave a note. So three times, I had to be out of pocket paying this crazy excess. Three times, life is unfair. Life is unfair. You look around the world, it's just unjust. But, of course, there are bigger things than that, isn't there, in life? Bigger things than that. Just yesterday, looking in the age, these are the things I came across. This article, Terrorism Suspects escape Sumatra Prison Riot. You look at that article, you read the article, and you think, that is not right. These people are guilty. They deserve punishment. But somehow they got away. Another article, this one's, about Iraq, Iraq on the verge of civil war. You read this and it depresses you because it will make you think there will be innocent people who will die from this. Another one, mafia boss. Mafia boss to get out of jail. This mafia boss, he was responsible for eight gangland murders. But there was this avenue for him to escape prison. Another one, this one here, this is crazy, a father strangled his 20-year-old daughter. And then what did he do? He doused her body in kerosene and lit her up. And what's the reason? Well, he discovered that she had a mobile phone, and she was talking to this boy that he didn't approve of. Life is unfair, isn't it? You look at these articles, you read them, and you think, this is not right. Here's another one. This one's a funeral of Lee Rigby, that soldier... in in England, murdered on the streets of London. You read these articles and you think, life is unfair. You look around, life is just unfair. Injustices everywhere. And that's not to mention all the atrocities of the last century. You You think about what Hitler did with the Holocaust. You think about what Pol Pot did in Cambodia. You think about what Stalin did in Russia. The genocide in Rwanda. Life is unfair. Injustice everywhere. And that's not to mention all that happens around the world today and people get away with it. The murderers, the drug lords. I mean, drug lords, they destroy so many lives, but yet they are getting filthy, wealthy. You you hear about the pedophiles. You hear about the rapists. You hear about all these atrocities, all these evil and wickedness in our world. But you know what? People do get away with it. The law does not catch everyone. And so you think about that and you think, this is not right. Life is so unfair. And so when we think about these things, bad things happening to good people and good things happening to bad people, and you think, this is not right. This is really not right. Where is God's justice? Where is his justice? Isn't our God meant to be a God of justice? Isn't our God meant to be the just God, the right God? Why doesn't he do anything about all these things? Life is so unfair. Well, you see, these are the questions that humankind have been asking for centuries. We've been asking for centuries, year after year, we ask these same questions. And in the passage we're looking at tonight in the book of Malachi, this was about 450 years before the coming of Jesus, they were asking this exact question. But in fact, if you look at our passage now, I'm going to ask you to keep your Bibles open. They were asking this question, but they were in fact also accusing God. They were wearying God with their words. So have a look at verse 17 with me. They were saying, Malachi is telling them, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Now the people then, they were thinking, what, us? Now how have we done this? They, They were a bit amazed that Malachi would say such a thing to them. And so they question, well, how did we weary the Lord? How have we wearied him? Now Malachi, this messenger of God, he tells them, well, you know what you've guys done? You've actually complained to God. You've accused God of being unjust. You've accused God of being unjust unjust and unfair. They've been accusing God of siding with the evildoers, of being friends with those who do wrong. And so verse 17 still, the second half, Malachi, Malachi tells them, You have wearied the Lord by saying, All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. And then they ask, Where is the God of justice? And so when you read this verse, you get the sense of their frustration. Seems like the frustration we might have today when we look around the world and all these unjust thing, things happening. We get this sense of frustration, and they were frustrated. They looked around their city and they saw the crime. The corruption, and they were frustrated. They're thinking, God, look at our condition now. Look at our social oppression, our political oppression. The Persians, they're, they're rulers over us. We don't even have sovereignty over our own land. And we have to pay them taxes. Our economy is not going well. But not only that, look at all those wicked people around us. They're doing so well. But us, the righteous, we're suffering. We're suffering. And so they're thinking, God, have you turned your back on us? Where is your justice, God? Now, how did God respond to that? They're accusing God, where is your justice? Well, you expect God to be quite furious at this point. You you say, what? You call me unjust? How dare you? And you would expect God to strike them down at that moment. That's what I would expect God to do. Calling God unjust. Calling God someone who works with the evil people. But what did God do? Well, God said something. And what we come to now in the book of Malachi are perhaps one of the most profound words we read in this book. They're going to tell us, they're going to tell them, in fact, give them a glimpse of their future, what they have to look forward to. They're giving them a glimpse into what God will do and how God will bring about justice. And so look at verse 1 with me in chapter 3, verse 1. God says, see, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Now, in the ancient world, before any king or emperor visited a province of his empire, he was send out one of his subjects, a messenger, to go to that place to prepare the place for a royal visit. And that's really no different today. If any of the royal family were to visit us, there will be stacks of preparation before that royal member would come. And so uh, when the Queen visited us uh, for the Commonwealth Games, what was that, 2006? There were months of preparation and making sure that where she goes will be all safe. And apparently she, in fact, brought her own toilet, her leather-covered toilet with her, and 50 pairs of gloves. So royal visit, you need to be prepared. And so God is saying here, before I come, before I visit, I will first send my messenger. And then what will happen? So the second half of verse 1. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. And so God is telling them, I will bring justice. This is what will happen. I'll send my messenger first and then I'll come. Messenger first and then I'll come. I the Lord, the Lord you are seeking, I will come to my temple. And God, he also identifies himself as the messenger of the covenant. Now, what's that idea? What's that getting on with? The word covenant means sort of promise, a pact, the special relationship that God has with his people. And so God identifies himself as this one who will bring along this new covenant, this new way of relating to God. And so what do we see here so far? God is telling them, you want justice? You want all this injustice you see around the world gone? I'll tell you what happened. I will send a messenger. He will come before me, and then I will come. And God says two things, two things he will do. He says, firstly, I will come to purify my people. I'll cleanse them. And the second thing, I'll come in judgment. So we get the picture there. God is telling you, you want justice, or this is what we will look like. My messenger will come. And then I will come in judgment. And so this is what we see in the remaining verses. So from chapter 3, verses 2 to 4, we see God talking about himself as the refiner's fire. When you purify precious metals, you need to burn it, uh, uh, refine it, so that you get rid of all the impurities, all the dross. And so God is saying, I am like this refining fire who will come. So look at verse 2 with me, verse 2 to 4. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites. The Levites were God's priests and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by as in former years. So God is just saying there, I will come and I will come to refine and purify. But the next thing God says is he he will come to judge. So look at verse 5. He says, I will come, justice will be served, or evil will be done with. So verse 5, so I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers. Now sorcerers are those, those engaged in witchcraft and even astrology. Uh, adulterers, adulterers are those who break their marriage vows, who uh, betray their wife or husband. Perjurers against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress widows and the fatherless and the deprive, deprive, deprive aliens of justice. Now, aliens, not E.T. aliens, meaning foreigners. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. And so we read these words. It's quite simple, in fact, but yet quite profound. You want justice? Well, God says, I'll tell you what will happen. My messenger will come, and then I will come. I will come in judgment, and I will bring about justice. But then when you read those words, I mean, this was about 450 years before the coming of Christ. We read these words, but then we look around the world today. We read the newspaper, we watch the news, and we're thinking, where's this justice that God talks about? Where's the justice that God talks about there? I don't see it. I don't see it today. And so has God stuffed up somewhere? Did God forget? This world, you see, is still so unfair, unjust, it's ruthless, and it's violent. So what is this passage about? Well, you see, about 450 years after Malachi was written, John the Baptist, we open up the Gospels, the book about Jesus, and we read about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was identified as the messenger who will come before the Lord. And so if we have a look at the Gospel of Mark, Mark right at the beginning, Mark chapter 1, verse 2, we read this, which is a quote from Malachi. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. And who is this messenger? Well, we read just a couple of verses down. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so John was identified as this messenger before the Lord to prepare the people for the Lord. And that was what he did. He prepared the hearts of the people. And so after John, remember God saying in Malachi, after my messenger, I will come. So we're expecting God to come. But then who comes along? After John, well, we read in verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. I thought we're expecting God. I thought God said he will come. But then Jesus comes along. Jesus comes along. And you know what? Jesus, in fact, went to the temple. As an infant, he was presented at the temple. And at many times throughout his life, he went to the temple of God. But why Jesus? I thought it was meant to be God who would come along and bring justice. I mean, did God the Father think, I know I made that promise years ago, but you know what, I can't be bothered. can't be bothered making that trip to earth. I'm going to send my son instead. What's that? What happened? Well, no. You see? Because you, need, you see who Jesus is. What this verse is saying is making a claim about who Jesus is. And Jesus is nothing less than a coming of God himself. You see, Jesus is God in the flesh. And so when you encounter Jesus, you in fact encounter God. And so you hear about, uh, you see when people ask, I won't believe in God until I see God. Well, the fact is, if you were living at the right time, in the right place in Palestine, you would have seen God. If you saw Jesus, you would have seen God. And so Jesus is that Lord who was to come, the Lord who went to his temple, the one who is the messenger of the covenant, this new covenant, this new way of relating to God. But remember what God also said, you want justice. The messenger will come, then I will come and I will bring justice. And that is what Jesus came to do. Justice and justice means judgment. And so we read this in John chapter 9. For judgment, I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. But then we read these words and we're thinking, where is this justice? We come back to that same question. we look around the world. where is this justice? Jesus came two thousand years ago. doesn't look like a just place. this world is so unfair, so ruthless, so violent. Well, you see, when Jesus stepped foot onto this world, it was the beginning of God's judgment on this world. It was just the beginning. It's not finished yet. And Jesus, when he stepped foot onto this world, he began with the people of God. He began with the Jewish people and especially their leaders. And so and so, the people, they were asking, God, we want justice. Well, God has now come in his son Jesus and says, well, you want justice? Well, you're the problem. You're the problem. You see, they were thinking, all those people around us, they're all the evil people, they're all the wicked people. But but Jesus comes along and says, You're the problem. You're the one who are evil. You're the ones who are wicked. And this is what we've seen in the book of Malachi. In chapter one, they were giving God all the leftovers. You know, they were keeping the good stuff for themselves. They were giving God the blemish animals. The blind and the lame, they were keeping the good stuff for themselves. They were evil. It's a bit like when you ask someone over for a meal, for dinner, and you feed them Maggi's instant noodles. And after they've had their instant noodles, after they've left your home, you have your big roast. It's a bit like that. They were like that to God. They gave God the leftovers, and they had the good stuff for themselves. And in chapter 2 of Malachi, last week, While they were unfaithful. They were not keeping their marriage vows, unfaithful to their wives, committing adultery. And so Jesus comes along to his people, to the leaders, and saying, You guys are the problem. You want justice? Well, you're the problem. You're the people I have to deal with. And so Jesus says this in Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, But on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous. But on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And so Jesus says, you want justice? Well, judgment is coming upon you. You are part of the problem. You are no better than anyone else, especially you, the leaders of Israel. And so Jesus says, God's anger is still upon you. Your heart is evil and it is against God. But what was Jesus' judgment? He didn't just zap them and then they disappeared. When Jesus came, Jesus started judgment, but he was looking forward to the greater judgment. See, Jesus spoke about the day of judgment, judgment day, the day when Jesus will return again and judge every person. Every single person. And so on that day, like that first reading, the sheep will be separated from the goats. The sheep from the goats. And everyone's thoughts, everyone's actions, everyone's words ever spoken will be brought to account, laid bare before God to scrutinize. And on that day, that day of judgment that Jesus spoke of when he first came, on that day of judgment, there is just the two ways. There is those who are sheep and those who are goats. There is, in fact, just hell for one and heaven for the other. And so Jesus says in twenty five, uh, Matthew 25, our first reading, so to one group he says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. To these people, they will get heaven. But then Jesus says to another group on the judgment day, He says, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. To the goats, you will be with Satan and his devils, with all his angels in hell. Sounds pretty rough, doesn't it? Now, it's not exactly the way we like to think about Jesus. We like to think about Jesus as the the gentle, the meek, the mild, just a good moral teacher, the one who did a lot of good healing people. We don't like to think about Jesus talking about judgment and hell. I mean, it's never easy to talk about those things, but yet to hear them from the lips of Jesus. But you see, in the Bible, the word hell occurs 12 times, only 12 times. The word is Gehenna in the Greek. 11 of those 12 times come from the lips of Jesus. So if there's any... Fire and brimstone preacher, Jesus is your man. And so Jesus spoke about this judgment day. It's serious, it's important, and it's dangerous. This judgment day where there is heaven and hell. This judgment day of Christ. World is unfair, but justice will be served. It's started, it will be completed. Now this is the confidence we actually can have. We look around the world, it's unjust really is unjust. But we can have this confidence that no matter what, justice will be served. Now, there was a judge who knew this really well. This guy by the name of Horace Gray. He was a Supreme Court judge from Boston, so he lived quite a while ago. Now, there was this one case where a man who he was judging, a man was clearly guilty, clearly guilty. The man knew it. And he, as the judge, he knew it. But he was not convicted. That's, that's because he escaped conviction because of some technicality. And so as the judge, he couldn't convict him. But that, this was what he said to this man. He said, I know that you are guilty, and you know it. And I wish you to remember that one day you will stand before a better and wiser judge, and there, and that there you'll be dealt with according to justice and not according to law. You see, that's the confidence we can have. Though the world is unjust now, justice will be dealt with. There will be justice one day. And so when you think of that, it should make you feel quite comfortable, shouldn't it? It should actually make you feel quite good. There will be justice. It's an unfair place, but it will be made fair when Christ returns so I'm looking forward to that day when Christ returns and Hitler will have to stand before God and give account for all he did. I'm looking forward to that day. Looking forward to that day when Pol Pot will have to stand before God and give account for all that he did. All those who get away in the world today, those who do evil things, they won't get away. There won't be any technicalities, no loopholes. And I'm also thinking about my, my, uh, my own life and the things I've experienced You know, wouldn't that be a great day when all those people in my life who I've come across, who've done me wrong, I'm thinking they'll have their day. They'll stand before God in judgment. And all those who have hurt me or hurt my family, well, they have their day in judgment, standing before God, giving account. Those three people who smashed my car, one day they'll have to give account. You know, the bully at school, that bully He or she, no, he, will have to give account. Some of you might be thinking, you know, aren't you Asian? Don't you know Kung Fu? Can't you defend yourself? But, you know, I was small for a while. In my mind, I'm thinking back through my life. All these people who did me wrong, I'm thinking, there will be justice one day. Not exactly the right way to think, I have to say. There is judgment coming, but not exactly the right way to think. Because if I think deeply about it, if I'm in fact honest with myself, I'm thinking about judgment for these guys, pointing th- my fingers, just like what the people during the time of Malachi were doing. If I'm honest with myself, I'm thinking, am I in fact any better? I'm not any better. You know, how many people have I hurt throughout my life? I'm just thinking, I don't know, countless number of times, and I'm sure many more times that I do not know of. How many people have I gossiped about? How many people have I slandered? How many people have I put to shame? More than I care to remember. But then I read this verse in Malachi chapter 3, verse 2. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? And the psalmist wrote the same thing. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who can stand? And so it makes me think, do I really want justice? You see, justice means dealing with me. Dealing with me too. Me and my flaws and my sins and my evil and my wickedness. You see, I will not be able to stand on that day. I'm pointing fingers. I'm thinking, God's going to bring them justice. God's going to bring justice to me too. I deserve judgment just as much. And I want to say, If we are all honest with ourselves, if all our thoughts, all our actions, all our careless words was laid bare before God for God to scrutinize, none of us will be able to stand on that day. None of us will be able to stand because we're just as bad. You see, and that's the judgment when Jesus comes. It's actually quite sad, isn't it? No one can stand. That's what he says here. Who can stand when he appears? the reality is that no one can stand because our hearts are just as bad. You know, that story of Jesus, the goats and the sheep, we're all goats. We're in fact all goats headed towards the fires of hell. Now, I really take no joy in talking about that. It's actually such a difficult topic, but yet this is what Jesus speaks about. He is the fire and brimstone preacher himself. Now, of course, people have tried to talk down you know, the idea of hell. You know, Hell's not going to be that bad. I'll just be there with my mates. We'll drink beer. It'll be a bit hot, but we'll just drink beer, and that should cool us down. You know, People try to play down the idea of hell. Or, or another guy, this guy, Rob Bell. He's an American pastor from Michigan, and in his book, Love Wins, he argued away the existence of hell. He's a pastor, but yeah, he doesn't believe in hell. This is what he says. He says, Has God created millions of people over tens of thousands of years who are going to spend eternity in anguish? Can God do this or even allow this and still claim to be a loving God? Does God punish people for thousands of years with infinite, eternal torment for things they did in their few finite years of life? I mean, we read that and we're thinking, that sounds good, doesn't it? But it's not the truth. Twelve times in the New Testament, the word hell occurs. Eleven of those times from the lips of Jesus. Jesus knows that hell is bad. He's serious, and we need to take it serious because God takes our sins seriously. And so Jesus, knowing that, this is what he says. Matthew 18. If your hand and your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet, and be thrown into eternal fire. You see, hell's not going to be like me and my mates drinking beer. Hell is not something we can just argue away, dismiss, decide that it doesn't exist. Because hell is real. There will be a judgment day that Jesus spoke of. Heaven and hell. Goats and the sheep. Now, in saying all of this, I want to say I'm not trying to scare anyone not really trying to frighten anyone. Hollywood does a pretty good job in frightening us. Bollywood does a good job in frightening us with their dancing, but anyway. But I'm saying this not to frighten you, but really to make you aware of the danger and the seriousness of not doing anything about it. God said, I will send my messenger and I will come in judgment. Jesus has come and judgment will be completed. You see, We can do something about it. When Jesus stepped foot into this world 2,000 years ago, it wasn't just judgment he brought. You see, remember from the passage in Malachi, God will also bring purification. There will be cleansing for his people. And that was what Jesus did. You see, when Jesus stepped foot into this world, he did something with that judgment. He didn't only bring judgment, he did something with the judgment that we deserve. He did something with the judgment that we will receive one day. And that is, Jesus faced the judgment we deserve in our place. The anger of God that was directed to us was transferred and directed to Jesus. Jesus bore the punishment of God upon himself for us. He did not come to just bring judgment. He came to bring salvation. He came to deal with the judgment that we deserve. And so, you know, bad things do happen to good people. Bad things do happen to good people. We see that all the time. But you see, in what happened with Jesus, that takes the cake. That takes the cake. What happened to Jesus, that takes the cake. The most unfair thing, the most unfair thing in all human history happened to God. Jesus unfairly treated and killed, murdered. But he did so willingly, took it upon himself, the judgment that we deserve. And so Jesus did come, he did bring judgment, and he will come back to bring judgment. But he came to do something else, and that was to deal with the judgment that we deserve. And so as a result, this ironic twist, good things, the best thing in fact, the gift of heaven and eternal life can now be for bad people. Twist things around. That best thing, heaven, eternal life, can now be the things that we get. Bad people like us. So bad things happen to good people, happen to Jesus. But now good things, the things that Jesus achieved on the cross, can be now for us, bad people. So we think about the world, really is an unfair place. Really is. But I want us to remember today, how good it is, how wonderful it is that the most unfair thing did not happen to us. The most unfair thing happened to Jesus so that we might receive the most undeserved gift of all, the gift of heaven, the gift of eternal life. And so in talking about judgment and hell, not to scare anyone, but to warn you, to let you know that you must do something about it. And Jesus has provided a way. And so I want us all tonight to really consider this. There are some of you who are here visiting us, some of you here for only a few weeks, and some of you here for years growing up in a Christian family. I want you to think about when that judgment day comes, that day of Christ, will you be able to stand? Do you, in fact, have the confidence that you can stand? The passage clearly tells us that we don't. But you know what? We can, through Jesus, and so I want to urge you to be sure that you can stand when Christ returns. And I want to just finish off in sharing a few stories. Over the past few weeks, just in my circles, those friends and people I'm around, just heard off so many news of death. The reality is we don't know when our end will come. We don't know when Jesus will return, but we don't know when our end will come. Just last week, I mean, with the families here, I went to a, a funeral in Benalla. So tragic, so sad, but yet I'm so grateful and thankful to God that that person can stand because of Jesus. About Thursday, a bit over a week ago, I got this news from a a minister friend of mine who was a year above me at Bible college. This is just heartbreaking news. They woke up that morning, Thursday morning. Their second child, their first child was stillborn, but this was their second child. Woke up to find their 20-month-old daughter dead in her sleep. It's just so tragic. It actually got me really concerned. I've got three kids of my own. I woke up that night just to make sure that my kids are breathing. We don't know when our end will come. But I'm so thankful to God that that child, because of Jesus, will stand. Just two hours today, about 4 p.m., got another text of another minister friend here in Victoria. Baby was born. This is their fourth child. Did not return home with them from the hospital. But I'm so thankful to God that that child, because of the parents' faith, will stand. And so let me encourage you today. If you really are not sure where you stand when Christ returns, be sure. And this is how you can be sure. John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Let me pray that that might be true for you, that you will believe in the name of Jesus. Let me pray.